You are now listening to the Verify Phenoms podcast. In this show, we speak with individuals who have come from all walks of life and have overcome the mental limitations of imposter syndrome, perfectionism, and overthinking. Get your notebook ready and stay tuned to learn how you can win your mental battles and become a verifying phenom as well. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Verified Phenoms. We are always in season of talking to people that have gone through real life experiences, that have real results, and that have gone through real challenges. Today, we have with us Kurt Euler. He's a globally recognized marketer, operator, and speaker. He is a dynamic and engaging speaker on marketing and innovation. Kurt's spe- speaking experience includes speeches all across the United States and Europe, and has even spoken at the White House. In addition to being a popular commentator, making appearances on TechCrunch, Drive Global, USA Today, and much more, Kurt has built and run multiple businesses from startup all the way over to 500 million annual revenue. Kurt, 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 happy Tuesday. Thank you so much for spending time to be with us today. Hey, thank you for having me. I want to get started today with just some rapid fire questions. Uh, just to get the, the juices flowing for, you know, just Q&A, having a conversation going. So I have about five questions for you. And I just want you to say the first thing that comes to your mind. We're just going to keep it pushing. If that's okay with you. Sure. All right. Ready? Yep. All right. So if your life were a movie, what would the title be and who will play the lead role? What am I wrong about now? And I'd like to say Brad Pitt, because I'm hoping I can lose some weight. What's the most unusual talent or skill that you have that surprises people? I'm a certified alligator handler. I can handle anything up to about seven and a half foot by myself. That is random. Okay. What's the best part of being a father? Um, the joy of just being with my kids. And Murphy workout every day, or would you rather run a 10K daily? Um, I'd rather run the 10K daily. All right. And lastly, what is your favorite memory about being a college athlete? I really liked 4 a.m. workouts for some reason. I don't know why. 4 a.m. workouts were your yeah. favorite? Yeah, I don't know. Everybody else was tired. I didn't have I don't have to sleep a lot. Um so I don't know if it was just I liked running early in the morning. It may have been that everybody else was dying and I was I was loving life, but um fi- finish early morning sprint workouts. No one often that's when we were doing two days and I don't know. I was just I was just lit for the rest of the day. When were you getting your homework done and whatnot? Because I remember when I was in college, I'm getting my homework done like 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night. So Off and around then, but I only slept about two to two and a half hours a night in college. So, Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, all right then. I mean, were you a, a, were you a sprinter or a long distance runner? Uh, long distance. I, I, we did indoor and, uh, wow. indoor and outdoor track, but I was, pri- I was primarily a cross-country runner, so. Uh, okay, okay. I can I can understand that a little bit more. Uh, I was also a cross country runner as well. So, as a cross country long distance runner, you get the time to really warm up your body and get mm-hmm. into your run, especially with those early morning workouts. I don't think I ever had a four a.m. workout. I think the earliest I had was five or six, maybe. 
Mm. Um, so I can understand that. But for the sprinters and maybe like the Thors, I can definitely understand <laughs> if they didn't feel like sprinting at 4 a.m. That's a, that takes yeah, a lot of that. energy to do. <laughs> but I want to circle back a little bit real quick. You said, what did I do wrong now? Is that what you said for the movie title? What could I be wrong about now? What could I be wrong about now? Yeah. Why that title? Um, I realized this first in in my career, and then I've now I've later learned that this is the same this is the same thing in my relationship with my wife and stuff as well. It's just they're different things. But I've looked back and say there's been so many times where something that I'm confident is the right decision to make, and then fast forward six months, twelve months, maybe two years, and things happen that maybe the industry changes or just data happens from implementing, and and you realize. Not only was it, you know, now knowing how everything played out, not only was it not a good decision, but it was a bad decision. And so I'm keenly aware of being wrong about something and being right about something feels exactly the same until fast forward into the future and you realize from whatever happens that I've been wrong. And so um, like one thing, we sold a company to Oracle and we had a big business strategy where we thought we needed to create offices in all these uh, in all these satellite um, cities around the US. And we got about nine months into that decision and we're sitting around at the board and we're looking at the number and um, we, we, we knew at that time that that was entirely the wrong business decision. The, the returns weren't there. And so we had like 30 people that were going to be let go like as quickly as we could make that happen reasonably. But every it was a unanimous decision when we went into that model that we this is what we needed to do. And so like that's one of the cases where I look back and go, wow, I now uh, there were some people in the company, but not at the executive, not at the boardroom that didn't agree with it. But but we hadn't created a situation to pull out those concepts. And so I literally do this little exercise every day to go, God, what am I what am I wrong? Like, what's something big that I, two, three things I could be really wrong about in my company and my business today? And I don't know it. And so depending on the dynamics, even some of the people I work with, every executive meeting, that's on the agenda because somebody often knows that. And often it's not somebody who's leading a team and somebody who's working with customers. And you have to have an Mm -hmm. environment that they feel comfortable raising a gut feeling sometimes without any data. I also realized it's often the same case with my wife in some cases. Some cases I'm doing something <laughs> and I'm like, this is, I'm killing it as a father right now. I'm doing it my, what I should be as a, as a husband. And then mm. uh, I, I hear something and we do like a weekly review and she mentions something. I'm like, well, apparently the last, last two months I've been not been doing what I thought I should be doing. So I'm, I asked myself that question personally too. I want oh my gosh, so many things I just heard I wanted to touch on. The, the last thing, because my fiance and I used to do this, but we've kind of fallen off from doing this. Uh, and we've spoken about bringing it back up again. You said you all do a weekly review. Can you speak we on do. that a little bit? Some weeks that we do it better than others. Um, mm-hmm. At the very least, what we do is we look at primarily my calendar because my wife's not working. She manages some of my speaking career. But um, but we look ahead at the week for what's on the calendar that's going to be for sure big blocks of my time. Like we're recording this in the evening right now. Um, and I, I still have an eight o'clock, eight to nine thirty call tonight as well. And then two late nights the next two nights. So we, we look ahead a little bit, but we also look back to see um, uh, primarily from a time perspective. Um, we always try to do that. If um, did things come up? 
Um, was I present when I needed to be? Um, mm -hmm. Did we plan ahead to, to get help and whatnot? Um, now, when we have time, and this is where we don't do it as well, we often try to look back then and say, hey, like um, much more of kind of like the, where are we at relationally from the week perspective, more than just pure mm -hmm. times and cutting in the kids. Right. Um, I think that's really healthy um, when you can do it. Um, and I try asking, this is where I, I don't get it as well. I really like it when I, I do remember to ask just what does she think that I'm not doing well? What, what, what does she need more help with? Um, I often don't ask because I know that if I'm not in a good place to really absorb it, I'm going to push mm -hmm. back and be defensive. And, and there should be no, there should be no like pushback for me at all. It should, or vice versa when she asks that question. Um, but mm -hmm. providing that time just to hear where your partner's at, where your spouse is at, um, is really valuable to at least know, Hey, I need, I need to dwell on, is that them or is that me? Mm. That's uh, an amazing exercise. We, we, we didn't necessarily do the time aspect of it where we mm. were like focusing, or I should say looking at like, okay, where can we be more efficient or what do we plan that didn't happen? Things of that nature. But she's not necessarily helping me with, um, my my projects and work that I have going on directly, um, but we did have a lot of conversation or uh, around like okay, how are we feeling about ourselves, each other? Yeah, what can we improve on? And it's such a a way to foster a healthy relationship, in my opinion, because it allows open doors for open communication. And for if somebody doesn't feel good a certain way, or they feel that they want to voice their opinion about something. It allows them to do it without feel like they're attacking something. And I think right. on a larger scale, if we take a step back and not necessarily focusing on just relationships, I think that's an amazing way to foster communication amongst all relationships in general. Whether we're talking about friendships, where we're talking about work, business, things of that nature. Do you find that you use that? I don't want to say weekly, because maybe within your businesses, you may do bi weekly or uh, maybe you do it monthly. Do you find that you use that same method for your businesses as well? I do. Um, and actually in businesses, I tend to use um, a, uh, it's, it's kind of like bringing Google Word into agendas. Um, but I, I use an interactive agenda calendar so that the other person or people and I can add things ahead of time. Um, one is it keeps me from interrupting people and disrupting deep work time that they may be in. But um, Especially if something's just like with personal relationship, the more emotional something is or the, the, the more confrontational something may be, that the more I actually find, hey, I, I don't need to jump right in and come and ask you that right then. And by, by adding it to agenda item, one, you might see it ahead of time so that you may know this is a topic I'm going to bring up, but it allows me to, um, to disassociate that much more from the emotions and whatever the issue is so it can still be raised. But it's like it, most things are not critical. They're not time, truly time sensitive. They may be important in terms of the maybe at least a month, some cases the week. But it's like if you and I were meeting every Thursday, there's very few things where it's like are big enough where it's like for me to go interrupt your Monday or Tuesday with something really good or even really bad sometimes, as opposed to I can just put it on the agenda and, and I know that we're going to get to it when we talk, whether that's every Thursday or every other Thursday. That's very true. That's very true. When I want to pivot for just a second um, to one of the other things that you said, right? So you realizing that over time that you're making these decisions that the quote that you said was amazing, um, that you don't realize whether it was a good decision or a bad decision until later down the road, because 
they feel the exact same way. How many times did you have to make a bad decision in order to for in order for you to have that realization that one they feel the exact same way, and two for you to be like maybe I shouldn't make this decision. Like maybe did you become hesitant after you let's just say the third time that it happened? How was that process for you for making these these large decisions? Great question. I, I mean, I really try to not make the same mistake more than once. Um, and, 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 and even the same direction, a lot of times if I'll do that review when, when I come up that something was wrong and, and I'll try to, I'll take a little bit of time to dissect, could I have actually known that it was a bad decision? Cause none of us ever want to make bad decisions. And so, you know, we make that, we make the bad decision thinking it's a good decision. And so when, when you have that review later, could, could I have known this then, or if this was something that went on for 12, 12 months, at what points along that path? Could I have done a check-in to know it? So when you do that enough times, you start to get a little bit of a, a muscle memory feel to go, hey, I should be, I, you know, like, I should build in some more checks in some of these decisions. Um, so I don't think there's a real concrete number. Um, it's one of the reasons I've really gravitated, though, towards this concept of like high-performing servant leadership, because to me, too many people complicate things and they make, they, they make too many decisions in isolation. And so at the, at the highest level, I think people complicate it. There's only two styles of leadership. There's the authoritative leader, which ultimately says, do what I say, how I say it. And if you don't, there's the door, you're fired. Or there's the servant leader that says, hey, look, if I'm paying you 100K or 200K or 50K, my dollars are no different than any other company. You're choosing to work for me. And so if I've hired you to help reach a business outcome, well, I, I hired you because I can't do all of those things, whether from a specialty perspective or time. And so my job then is to try to serve you to help you reach those business outcomes that I've hired you for. Well, if that's the approach that you take, well, then that changes everything because I need to not, I need to try to make as few decisions like as possible. Like I want to have healthy conflict so that it can come up if you disagree with me or the other executives or anybody on the team and we can come to consensus. And then only in rare cases should me or another leader have to make a call. Like, and so when that start, when you change that environment, then I'm not making those decisions by myself. And so I, that's kind of system means that I don't have to be wrong as many times. It also means then that when we've made that collective decision, and we say, this is where we're going. Well, now we're all responsible for that decision. And so we should all be bringing up when we see things that are saying, hey, the leading indicators say we might be going off the wrong decision. I always like to look at it. I mean, I'm, my, my wife and I are big into hiking, um, partially because I was a runner as well. And, and she loves the outdoors. And I mean, if there's a mountaintop over there, we can look back right now and say, hey, we're going to that mountaintop. Well, even with the, uh, even with a map, we may still take multiple paths to still get there. And so, what I need to do is look back every once in a while and say, "Hey, am I am I going a completely different direction?" Mm. Mm. Decision making is difficult. Mm -hmm. It can be difficult, especially at a higher level. It is some would say a skill, and I think that that's something as an athlete. I think we built up over time. It's Depending, especially depending on what your sport is. I think about as a, as a long distance runner, you are running a race that is slow and steady. And then at one point, let's just say we're on the track. You have to figure out at what point are you going to make the move? Are you going to make the move too early? Are you going to gas out? You make it too late. 
and you don't have enough time to kick. Same thing, in my opinion, I believe it relates to business in general, or let's just say your career. How are you able to figure out within, let's just say, this collective, right? Because you're not making these decisions by yourself. How are you able to understand, like, okay, even though we all had this conversation, this is the path that we want to take, but I need to actually execute on this. Because a lot of times people will make a decision, but never actually move the needle and push forward with something. Yeah, I think there's two parts to it. I think part of it is, I mean, most people use the term prioritization, but when you go ask them what their priorities are, what's the priority for your company or your team or your division, or what do you think your boss's priorities are for you? And they'll give you a list of 10 things, 30 things. And they don't realize like you can't have 10 things that are the priority. You can have one thing that is the first priority. You can have something that's number two and number three, but that means then that there's judgment calls and you can't have three things that are all the most important thing that this person or this company is supposed to be doing. And, and so when you force the team, especially to decide on what things are more important than others, that does shift a whole lot of downstream decisions after that point. Um, the second part is so many companies, and especially nowadays, I think it's more important because we're working remote. Many of us are working remote. If you go ask, the individual. Hell, if you ask a manager or a vice president at many companies and you ask them how their role or how their team's role contribute, like, hey, you're my social media manager. You're my email. You write my email copy and, and, and what copy for the website. And if I ask that person how their role, what are they doing today and how does that going to help the company reach the outcomes that we've all talked about? Almost nobody at most companies can do that. And so I, I take an inordinate amount of time to make sure, and I think every leader has to make sure that the entire company, I don't, I don't care if you have 10,000 or 50,000 people that work for your company, every single person has to know what is the company wanting to accomplish and down to the division and down to you. If you're a support person for Amazon, you should be able to articulate in two minutes how your numbers and hitting the metrics that they're talking to you about how is that going to help the company accomplish the numbers that they're trying to reach, uh, whatever those are? And most leaders don't take that time. They'll, they'll talk about a vision once, they'll say outcomes once, and they don't realize like they have to share that outcomes, the desires that they want the persons to accomplish. They have to, to say it. I mean, my wife and I have kind of come to this. I have to tell my team what I expect of them so many times that my wife, who doesn't work at the company, is annoyed <laughs> at hearing me say it on conference calls and Zoom calls and one-on-ones where she may overhear at times. And at that point, they might be starting to get it. And so mm. when you do that, well, then I've made sure everybody's really clear what the outcomes are and truly what's a ranked order priorities. And so when I say, hey, like you're the cop, you're the, if you were the senior copywriter for the company and somebody mm. comes in or I come in and ask you to do something else, you now have enough information to push back and go, well, you said this was number one, number two, and number three. And what you just asked is going to make these things not happen. Do you want to change one of these priorities? And that's the difference between the authoritative leadership and the servant leadership. The people feel comfortable saying, are you okay with me changing those priorities? Mm -hmm. And then you get to decide, are you yes or no? And usually when, if I've done my job and explaining the outcome, I find usually if I come and try to slip something else in there and the person feels like that they need to push back, mm -hmm. they're usually right. 
when a person has too many quote unquote priorities, right? Maybe they they have a let's just say a top five of things they're trying to accomplish. Right. It can lead to overthinking because they're not sure where to put their energy, where to put their time, their skill set, all things of that nature. But when you have a number one priority, there's no doubt, there's no question of exactly what you need to do. It provides clarity. The way you're, right. you're nodding your head, I, I guess you, <laughs> you agree with that. We're going to get back to the show in just a second. But in the middle of your journey to create, innovate, and lead, you probably found yourself facing challenges of creative blocks or stuck in the cycle of overthinking. Here's the thing. You aren't the only one experiencing this. So why should you go through this journey alone? What if there was a community of like-minded individuals all striving towards success, ready to support, motivate, and hold you accountable? Well, I have the solution for you. A place where ambition meets action, where your dreams get a roadmap, and where every single stride gets celebrated. We're more than just an online community. We're a collective of creators, freelancers, and entrepreneurs who believe in the power of togetherness to overcome obstacles and achieve greatness. Joining this online private community means that you're not just setting your goals, but also taking decisive steps towards them. With a community ready to cheer you on with every step of the way, it's about consistent progress, shared learning, and the taste of achievement. If you're ready to elevate your journey, to transform your ambitions into achievements, and be part of a collective that believes, then achieves, visit VerifiedPhenom.com to take action today. That's VerifiedPhenom.com. Let's just let's go back to your graduating college, right? The first 10 years of you starting your career, how good were you at prior, prioritization? I was not, I was not good. If I looked at my life, I was pretty good from a, I was really good from a work perspective and my career would have shown that. Um, but I think from the individual perspective, if you looked at when I came out of college, I came out of college straight into a marriage that I felt like I needed to get, that was the next checkbox for me. Um, ended up not being the, 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 let's just say my, my now ex-wife made different decisions, um, going forward. But if you looked at my time, there was no way that I was, I mean, I did everything except for having an affair or become an addict to like ruin that marriage. Because if I looked at where I allocated time, I allocated 90% of my waking hours to my job. I wouldn't have said that at the time. And so from a work perspective, when I was working, I was able, I have a high capacity. I can work much more than a lot of people can. But if I looked at what my, I would have told you my prior, personal priorities were and my life priorities, I was clearly not investing time in personal relationships, whether at home mm. or with friends. Um, and so that's a that's a big deal. I mean, so from like, do you get it right or not? Well, it also depends on you as the individual. So um, so but at, but at work, I tended to be pretty good in priorities, um, partially just I was in a very fast growing company. And so when um, when you're successful, people give you more responsibility. So don't they <laughs> you can say no. And so when I look back over that time, I was at this company. We took from eighty five million dollars a year in revenue to one point four four billion dollars in annual mm. revenue in ten and a half years. Insane growth. Well, I had this huge life change about six or seven years into the company. And what came really clear to me was this this gentleman that were that I worked with, and he was great at his job. It was like I think he was a senior manager 
maybe a director in corporate finance. We were a public company. And they kept trying to promote him. And this gentleman, he, he, knew, he knew promotions at our company meant more hours and less time from home. And he had littles at home and was married. And so from a priority perspective, he finally told, they finally promoted him after he turned down promotions. And he said, if, if, if I'm promoted, I quit. So he went back to the title he had. Looking back, that man had his priorities together. He knew what was most important for him. He needed to be on the 530 or 545 train from Chicago out to the suburbs. Mm. And like looking back, like he wasn't trying to climb the corporate ladder. He he was providing for his family. And so he always got his work done. And he was an incredible person for his role. Um, But from a priority perspective, he's like, I'll do this job that you gave me. Because, but I'm going home because that's where my priority is for things. And when he was at work, he prioritized really well there. And I look back, I was like, oh my gosh, I could have done that same thing. For someone that has impacted so many lives, spoken to so many different audiences, a leader of multiple startups doing multi-millions, prioritization is something that is, at this point, is flowing through you. How, what advice would you give to somebody to be able to figure out what their priorities are in their personal life and what their priorities are in their career? I would start with your personal life first, because to me, like there's lots of jobs you can have. There's lots of ways you can make money, um, but, but, but you can't change your personal life. And so spouse, partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever that looks like for you, that's, that's the bulk of who you are. And so for me, I find, um, I mean, I've, I've been guilty of this, but myself, too many people make, uh, they take advice from people that they would not want that person's life. And so I think you need to find, like, hey, I mentioned I had a failed marriage. So I can tell you a lot about how, the bad things to do in a marriage, but, but I'm, only, I'm only 10 and a half years into, into my current marriage. So it's like, I don't have the same wisdom on for sure the things to do right, that somebody is 30 years or 40 years into their marriage and, and, and that one marriage. And so if, that, if that's what's important to you, you should go find somebody that collectively, when you look at their life and you go, and, and so that's why I say you start with personal and you don't start with somebody who has the money. You start with like, this is the personal relationships around this person. And they're two to three seasons ahead of you. And you, I think you should formally ask that person, will you mentor me? And for you pick a, you, you collectively pick a time, 18 months, two years, no more than three years. You can renew later, but you mentor for a time, not for a life. But, but you look and say, Hey, look, if, if, if I want to have a successful marriage and I want to have kids that feel like they're impactful and I want to provide for my family, somebody who's 10 years into their marriage can't really give you the guidance. Like you don't know if they're successful or not. I, uh, I did this morning mentoring thing with a pastor here in uh, Roswell named Crawford Loritz. And um, like 5, 5 a.m. for, uh, for like th- almost three years, not every week, but um, for a lot of it. And somebody asked a question. He asked, said something leading to a question he was asking Crawford. But it was like, hey, Crawford, like my kids are going to college now or they're just out of college. Like we've been good parents, kind of their self-patting on the back. <laughs> and then they had a question. And I don't know, I have no idea what the topic was for the day. Nobody does. Crawford hard stopped. He had multiple sons. Uh, I think two of them are pastors. I know Brian's a pastor. And Crawford's like, look, 
I have sons that are pastors. He's 42. I still don't know if I'm a good dad or not. And saying so it was like, he's not, you know, and, and Crawford just reset this whole thing. There's like, if you think you're, you've made good decisions when your kids have gone to college, like you haven't made good decisions yet. Like you, like you need to still be taking advice from people that, that, that have kids that are 20, 30 years out of college to figure out what a good dad looks like. And this guy just gets wrecked because he's like, I'm patting myself on the back. So I think that's how you start by, ta- by, by figuring out like your own priorities. They don't have all the answers, um, but they're going to ask questions to help guide you and help you think not just in short-term decisions, but longer ones. And then the work stuff comes from that. Maybe that person might still be successful financially, but if you get your personal life and right and, 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 and involved, then that's your person in your board seat for they can help you rectify your personal life. Maybe that's personal and spiritual. For me, it usually is. And then you can find a career mentor to help guide you through some of those questions. Do you have a mentor now? Um, I do not have a, a personal mentor right now. I have gen- a gentleman uh, recording, I would say, from <laughs> it. Um, so I, my, both of my, my main personal mentors have passed on. And so uh, this is somebody else in the, in the circle with them. And so um, we, we need to get coffee soon. So, Well, this is your reminder to reach out to them to go get coffee. Yeah. Um, mentorship is something that as I continue to grow and mature, I've realized how important it is to have somebody that you, you look up to, you gain information from, whether it's a series of their books, their videos, or if you're fortunate enough to be able to actually speak with them. What would you say have been, or at least one one piece of advice or story or aha moment that you received from a mentor that made the light bulb go off in your head? You're like, I see the direction I need to head in right now. Probably the best story is um, I had three things all happen with uh, all happen in my personal life, um, and they personal happened, work happened. All the all at once, um, I thought it was going to be huge black balls for my career. And um, I call up, I call up my work mentor, my basic career mentor. He gave me a good bit of personal advice, but he was really a business mentor. And I'm like, this is what's happening. And I'm like, and and nobody cares. And like, what caused this? And and his name is Don. And Don goes, well, Kurt, you're an asshole. And I'm like. I'm like, like three soul crushing things have just happened to me. And you're telling me I'm nobody cares because I'm an asshole. And it's like, no, you're a really high performing asshole, but you're an asshole. Um, and and there was a little bit more to it. And then, uh, so that, that ended up instead of being like a, what I thought was gonna be a five or 10 minute call, that was probably an hour. And I hang up and I, I, I do what many people do. I call my mother. Mm-hmm. And my mom was from, my mom was a person, a type of person in the family that no matter what you did wrong, if anybody else was attacking you, she defended you. Mm-hmm. And so I never really got any critical advice from my mom. And I'm like, mom, this is what my mentor for the last like two or three years just told me. And my mom goes, well, you are an asshole. And I'm like, what in the hell? You're supposed to defend me at this. Right. And this is these bad things that happened. I'm like, why would you say that? And she was like, because you asked. And I was like, why did you never tell me this before? You're my mom. She's like, because you never would have listened to it before. Mm-hmm. And so that's 
that really took me to start really like two people that were highly influential in my life that I really, res- I would have considered them wise in many different things. And both of them had this view of me that was completely different than the view of myself. And I had never set up from a situation that they felt comfortable in any way of bringing up. Why, why would anybody want to actually hang out with you or come to you with feedback or give you a different idea? And I was like, oh my gosh. And actually at that time, I it my heart still wasn't broken enough to do anything besides realize how much more successful could I be if I set up an environment where people could actually tell me the negative things and I figured it out early. Mm-hmm. Now, now, other things change uh, change later on, but I was like, so that was kind of the big thing. And my that was my asshole moment, as I, as I referred to it. So you're having this reality check, right? And some of us get reality checks in life, but it hits different when it's confirmed by mm-hmm. somebody that you value so deeply, like a parent, right? And yeah. you're getting that reality check. What is the next step for you to actually make progress in order to change the environment, but also yourself. Because I'm a, I'm a huge believer that in order to excel in anything you do in life, in order to be a great athlete, in order to be a great employee, in order to be a great business owner, leader, it starts from within first. So you're having this reality check and you're like, man, I could probably be a better performer, business owner, but I need to change myself first in this environment. What was the next step for you? The next step for me in that was, was I'd say, different than when I've had those kind of wake-up calls or, or, or changes for things um, at other times. As a part of kind of these three major things, that was a huge spiritual awakening for me as well. And right. so during that time, I, I, I still hadn't figured out. I started going to a church in Chicago. And um, a lot, through a lot of that, I realized I was much more broken than I thought. Um, and, 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 and I had a huge heart change when Jesus found me at that time. But even with that, things you don't become a new person the next day. And so I think when I've had these realizations of the rest of my life uh, at other times, and, and even at that time, too many times people, they, they expect a big change to just happen overnight. I'm going to get healthy today. Um, I'm going to make this huge change at work. Or now I'm going to be productive. Or now I'm going to read more. And they set these goals for themselves that are basically New Year's resolutions and that set themselves up to fail. Um, now there's a huge bit of things I like about like James Clear's book, um, Atomic Habits. But I think the bigger thing is people focus on like, they want this big life change. Yeah. I I love the book, but, but the, the, the key thing to me is your life does change as much as you want it to with a single decision. And then what really matters is streaks at that point. And so I don't like perfection for things. And so um, the, and so it's like, Hey, you're gonna read your Bible every day. Really? You're going to fail. Let's not do that. How about let's just try four or five days a week. It gives you some margin in there. Maybe you get ahead or not. Um, you're going to go to the gym. Don't go every day. How many days are going to work for you? There's very few things in my life. Um, now, I mean, I'm much more successful. I, I really do focus on systems and process. Um, there's very few things that I look for perfectionism in. And I mean, I only have one of those things right now that I actually is like my have to do every single day. Um, that's, I've changed my way of eating. And so I'm, I'm entirely carnivore right now. And so like now watching the number keep going up, not that, not that I can't, you know, eat carbs or something if I want to, but like, that's the only thing that I'm really tracking from a strict perspective. That's like, 
all right, how many days, how many weeks, how many months am I on consistent? How have you realized that not focusing on perfectionism helped you progress? Because as a person that's built multiple businesses, there's a lot of um, things can go wrong. And even as you said in the beginning for your movie, like what, what, what did I, I think I cannot remember the title word for word. It was like, what did I do wrong today? What or, could I be wrong about today? What could I be wrong about today? Right. With that mindset, you're kind of throwing out the window that everything is perfect. Once you start to develop the mindset, like, you know, we're making baby steps, just daily progress. Let me back up because I think I, I had, I went like a, an X. When did you first make that realization that I don't need to be perfect to make progress? Let's start there. When did you make that realization? And how long were you on that journey until you realized, like, this is actually working out to not be perfect? I, I was I was probably in my I was probably in my early 30s before it was a full realization. Mm -hmm. Um I was stumbling along the concept of it before because so much of what I had in business, I didn't, I didn't expect perfection from others. I, um, I didn't expect perfection in myself. I knew that growth happened from momentum. And so I, I, I was on the concept of streaks much more than perfection long before, but I was probably 31 or 32 before I, I fully made that realization that said, look, I, I, I don't care about perfection. I don't care how many times I've failed. I'd prefer to minimize that. But but I'm whether it's sales or spending more time one-on-one -on -one time with my wife or whatever, I'm I, I'm building momentum in something and, and getting the whole team to realize that. I've been part of two hyper growth companies. Those are companies that are not trying to grow by five percent or fifteen percent a year. Those are companies that grow two hundred percent, five hundred percent year over year that have these massive growths. Um, you have to think differently in those cases. And so when, when you start thinking that way, then you start going like, is it worth me to really slow down? Um, and so I'd realized this, like in my later twenties, like there's a lot to say, be said about taking a week or two weeks to slow down, to build processes and just practice or do something so that you can go faster for the whole rest of the year, um, or every minute after that. Um, so I, but I, it was probably my early thirties before I really like crystallized in that thought. And now very much that's everything that I would do from a leadership perspective. I'm always kind of joking. I, I'm a scaler. And so I, I joke, I, I tend to hire factory, factory managers to come in to digital marketing and run marketing kit and thing, because I'm going to mad scientist things sometimes by myself, sometimes with other people. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to bring in somebody at this last company, a company called eXp Realty, uh, what's now the largest real estate brokerage in the world. Um, we grew up from like 32,000 agents to 89,000 agents. They, this massive growth from this company in just a couple of years. The gentleman that was my operations manager had never done marketing in his life. He, he, he was a really good business development person, but he had the personality to basically run the factory. Hmm. And then he would ask me because he had access to my calendars and all the systems that I was doing. He's like, what the hell are you doing now? And I'm like, I'm building a new factory line. When I have it figured out, I'm going to give it to you to run. Just keep running stuff right now. And then six months, nine months, I'd get something else. Back to I'm like, this shit works. All right, here you go, Scott. This is your baby now. I'll coach you for the next couple of weeks. And then I don't ever want to hear about it again. Oh, man. The, the taking time off 
that you said is so important. I love that because uh, I used to I used to work for Apple, and it was like one of the biggest aha moments that I got while working. And I was trying to take like multiple appointments at one time. I was a technician, and my manager pulled me aside, and he was just like, "You need to slow down so you can speed up." And that has stuck with me for so like ever since ever since that conversation. That, like you said, sometimes you do need to take a moment, a week, two weeks, however long it is, to be able to get everything together. It's almost like your foundation, right? You need to be able to have that foundation before you really start building up the house very quickly or whatever it is that you're you're trying to build at the moment. But taking some time to build that is super, super important. I have just about one or two more things to ask you as we start to wrap up here today. What and this is a question I love to ask everybody. It's, it's just a, so interesting, Gary Rice's perspective on this. What would you say was success to you twenty years from now, and what is success to you today? Success in twenty years would be from to, like twenty years ago. Oh, twenty years ago, mm-hmm. I would have said absolutely money in the bank. Absolutely money in the bank. Um, and I, and that, and that's how I, that's how I made decisions at work. That's how I made decisions in personal life. Um, today just, uh, success for me will, will be in the future when my kids are 20, when my kids are 30, um, did they feel, did, did they feel like dad was actually around and taught them how to be good people? That's deep. I love that. And Kurt wrapping up here today. How can people find you and how can they support you? Um, depends on what the, how they can find me, either on my personal <laughs> website. Um, that's going to splinter off to a lot of places, um, but I do a lot of writing about high-performance servant leadership, uh, what that looks like for you personally or what that could look like for your company. Um, and then if they, uh, the other place they can find me is, and that'll take you to, if you want to know what the, my personal life looks like, it'll send you to Instagram and Facebook and places. But um, if you want more business tips on growing companies, LinkedIn is the best place to kind of follow for that stuff. Kurt, all right, LinkedIn. Well, Kurt, again, thank you so much for taking the time out of your evening to spend this evening with us to drop so many gems. It's been an amazing conversation. Uh, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much because uh, I know we had to move some things around, so I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. Hey, y'all, this has been a, another episode of Verify Phenoms, and we will catch you on the very next episode. See ya.